Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is produced, emanates from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you don't like the program, well, you know what to do. There's lots of things you can do. You can listen to music. You can watch uh, Survivor or Ninja or something. I don't know. Love Machine, whatever. You can turn on your porno films it's up to you but you know if you've got any you know if you're interested in current events what's happening and changing the world well hopefully the anarchist will this week is for you what's anarchy anarchos without rulers it's about creating a society without rulers what gives rulers the ability to determine your future and the future of billions of people in this planet inequalities in power and wealth so the anarchist struggle is to devolve power that's share power and to hold wealth in common, a simple concept which allows everybody on the planet to develop themselves in a safe, secure environment to the maximum of their ability. Very simple, easy. So if you're interested in those type of things, you know, you don't want to become a billionaire or a millionaire or uh, you know, lead armies and kill people, well, the Anarchist World this week is the program for you because we look at what's happening and hopefully we encourage you to get off the couch, if you have a couch, get off that screen, get off that mobile phone and take to the streets. Now, talking about taking to the streets, now, you won't believe this. This is, this is, this is almost extraordinary. For 20 years, the Wednesday Action Group has been reclaiming public space around the city of Melbourne CBD. And for 20 years, we've been harassed by security council officers and police of all, all varieties every time we go to Southern Cross Station. Now, Southern Cross Station is one of the most uh, prominent stations after Flinders Street stations in Victoria, right? It is not owned by the state government. It is managed by a private corporation on behalf of the state government. The public actually has 90 centimetres of space, 90 centimetres of space where to protest. And last time we were there, we were kicked off that 90 centimetres by, you know, dozens of police, you know, tackle a half a dozen elderly people. 
Well, we have decided to make the month of August, and that's why we're telling you now, Southern Cross Month. We will be there every Wednesday from midday to 1pm, from midday to 1pm, to reclaim public space. And if you believe that freedom of assembly is one of the fundamental building blocks of a democratic society, well, then we encourage you to come and join us because the more of us that will be there in that 90 centimetres of space, the less chance they've got to push us off. We've been doing this for 20 years. We're asking for your support for four weeks, midday to 1pm, during the month of August, and I'll remind you ever and ever. Now, those of you who may not know, um, I've been involved in a radio fund, and we've had $11,168.57. That's right, and 57 cents pledged in the Anarchist World this week to go to community radio station 3CR to keep radical radio on air for another 12 months. And of that money that's been pledged, $10,521.05 has been paid. Unfortunately, the 30th of June has kind of clicked over. But if you need a tax deduction and you've got a few thousand dollars that you need a tax deduction for, not for the last financial year, but this financial year, because obviously we would never, never post-date or, you know, receipts, you can always ring 94198377. It's the last time I'll ask. And you can pledge a few thousand dollars and lighten your tax load like the rich and powerful do. Okay, let's move on. Mandate. Everybody's been talking about a mandate. We have a mandate to uh, pursue our parliamentary agenda. We took our policies to the Australian people and the Australian people voted, voted us back into power. Yep, they voted us back into power. A mandate. Now, parliamentary democracy or representative democracy is a little bit like an amoeba. It is the beginning of the democratic process. It is the very beginning of a democratic process. And what people don't seem to understand is that when you vote in a parliamentary election and one group or another gains a majority of seats in the House of Representatives, what that means is they have a mandate to pass any legislation they like outside the constraints of the Australian Constitution, if you live in Australia, for the next three years. It's that simple. You give them a signed blank cheque to make decisions for the next three years. That is the nature of representative democracy. That is the nature of the democratic system we live under. We give the political party or the political group that wins the most seats in the House of Representatives a sign, blank check to make decisions for us for the next three years. So they do have a mandate. So when the government says they have a mandate to pass legislation, they have a mandate. The only thing they can't do is go beyond the constitutional arrangements which are currently in place unless the government of the day 
suspends the constitution, which we saw happen in 1975 when the Whitlam Labor government was thrown out of office. So all those of you who say, well, they got a mandate, they haven't got a mandate, well, they do have a mandate. Any parliamentary democracy which is based on representation has a mandate, and that's the whole purpose of a parliamentary democracy. Whether power lies in parliament, obviously, is a different matter. Now, currently around the world, where we do have, a, uh, where we do have representative democracies, there are major problems. And I could see... Not that it'll happen, but if a military coup occurred in Australia, I can imagine that most Australians would go, ha hum, we don't have to vote every three years. Isn't that wonderful? And there seems to be this great disillusionment with the parliamentary system. And let's not forget that despite wall-to-wall advertising, both in the virtual and the real media, only about... 90% of people on the electoral roll actually bothered to vote, although it's compulsory to vote in this country. That's right. Only about 90% bothered to vote. Because, well, and especially young people. If you ask people under 35 what they think of parliamentary democracy, most of them will shrug their shoulders and walk away. Really not thinking that... Parliamentary legislation really makes much difference to their lives. So there is this hole, this void, this essence of nothing at the very heart of the parliamentary system. And I think it's a bit rich to get an anarchist to talk about how to reform representative democracy because we want to replace representative democracy with a direct democracy. Direct democracy is not based on the idea of uh, electing a representative to make decisions for you for a fixed period of time. Direct democracy is actually people making decisions about specific issues at a local, regional and national level and then delegates coordinating those decisions. And if no coordination is possible, those decisions going back for rediscussion. So it's about participation. See, democracy ultimately is about participation, whether it's direct democracy, representative democracy, consensus decision-making processes. It's all about participation. And when you don't have participation in the political process, what happens is the minorities then dominate political discussion and we get the type of... parliaments we have today. So what are two simple reforms that can be made to give power back to the demos, the people? Well, two simple reforms that can be made is one, the power of parliamentary recall. That's right, parliamentary recall, which means giving the electorate the power to recall non-performing politicians in between the period they've been elected for, during the period they've been elected for. So if 10% of the electorate sign a petition in a fixed period of time, say one month, they want a fresh election, well, a fresh election is called in that electorate. And if that politician is returned 
that's the end of it for the ne- you know till the next election. But giving the electorate the power to recall non-performing politicians means that the representative is more responsive to the needs of the community they represent than the needs of the political party which has pre-selected them for that particular seat. Another problem we have in this country is, as I've said on many occasions, the Constitution provides very few protections against for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. And we've seen continuously for decades now the federal parliament strip away so-called liberties we don't actually enjoy in the Constitution because parliament, and this is where the mandate concept comes in, parliament can make any legislation it likes within the confines of the Constitution. If the Constitution has very few rights, individual rights in it, well, then it can basically make any decisions it likes regarding stripping away the fundamental building blocks of what is a so-called democratic society. Freedom of association, freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. And we've seen in this country over the last few decades, especially at the federal and state level, legislation after legislation being passed, hundreds of pieces of legislation which have basically removed any rights we think we have. As far as the rights of freedom of association is concerned, if the Attorney-General thinks that a particular organisation may harm the country's interests, and we're talking about financial interests as well as security interests, well, the Attorney-General can, at the stroke of a pen, with minimal ability to actually appeal, ban that organisation. And once that organisation is banned, members can be jailed for up to 25 years and anybody providing any assistance to that organisation can also be jailed for up to 25 years. So there goes your freedom of association. Freedom of assembly. There are laws around this country, varying from state to state, which make it almost impossible to people to assemble in open, peacefully assemble in open public space. And the list goes on and on. Unfortunately, as far as the Australian Constitution is concerned, the only people who can change the Australian Constitution or put, a, theoretically, the only people who can change the Australian Constitution are the Australian people. But practically, the only people that can actually put a question to the population in a referendum is Parliament. If a party has a majority in both houses of Parliament, it can, if it wishes, put constitutional questions to the Australian people. And unfortunately, most of the constitutional questions that have been put to the Australian people since Federation in 1901 are questions about centralising more and more power in the hands of the federal sphere, in the hands of this federal government. So no wonder most constitutional questions have been rejected by the Australian people. So if only Parliament can, has the ability to put a question to the Australian people regarding change to the Australian Constitution, you will find that there will never be any questions put to the Australian people to increase 
people's rights. Now, in some countries like Switzerland, you can have what are called citizens-initiated referendums. And what happens if if a percentage of the population sign a petition within a particular time frame, the government is forced to hold a referendum on that particular question. And then the people decide whether they support it or not. No rights to a citizens-initiated referendum exist in Australia. And one way to prevent... You know, people with money dominating in that area is to actually subsidise both sides of the debate and limit the spending as far as uh, their uh, political pro- as far as their uh, refer- that particular referendum question is concerned. You don't need a revolution. These are simple reforms which any parliamentary democracy can carry out, which, in my opinion, would actually increase the rate of participation. Because whether you're an anarchist or somebody who believes in representative democracy, the key is participation. The fewer people participate in the process, the greater the chance that the whole process can be manipulated by a small people, a small group of people with vested interests. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. The Taxation Pandora's Box. Just in case you don't know who Pandora is, and I'm sure a lot of younger people are not that interested in Greek mythology, and many of my contemporaries are not interested in Greek mythology, but God Jupiter pissed off by the fact that he had to deal with Pandora, the first mortal woman on planet Earth, a little bit like a Greek Eve gave her a little box. And when she opened that little gift, it caused ills. Many ills were released on humanity. So that was Jupiter's gift to Pandora, the first mortal woman. So the concept of Pandora's box is a simple concept. Now, we're all... All people who are wage earners are kind of salivaring, you know, I can see them. We're all getting all excited about all this extra cash that's going to come away when the taxation bill goes through in the next 24 hours. $1,024 in your pocket. $1,024, that's the standard, in your pocket. And as the other two tiers of the taxation legislation come through, more money in your pocket. And we're going to get to the situation where somebody earning 40000 a year pays the same rate as income tax as somebody earning $200,000 a year. This is reverse, you know, reverse taxation. The richer you get, the less you pay. So why is it a Pandora's box? Well, it's a Pandora's box for a number of reasons. One, there are no, there will be no efforts made during the next three years federally to introduce legislation to curb negative gearing and to curb the expanding public bill of uh, franking credits, which means people who own shares get money for doing nothing, basically. So this is going to cost billions of dollars every year. 
if you look at the economy, even the reserve governor is a little bit, you know, concerned, pissed off of the Morrison government. I mean, cutting interest rates down to 1%, you know, everybody thinks, oh, this is great. But the reality is that, you know, people don't want to borrow anymore. And they don't want to borrow because they're having trouble paying money back because they're geared up to their gills trying to keep up with the increasing uh, bills that people have to face on a day-to-day basis. And as I said, when the Morrison government was re-elected, the people who are going to pay the price of the spending cuts, which will be required to keep the, you know, the budget in surplus, will be the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive. And now, with the rapid decrease in interest rates, what we will see is all those self-funded retirees who are relying on investment income will also now become part of the problem. Because irrespective of how many franking credits they get, the dilemma is that as interest rates fall, self-funded retirees, which is a growing number in the population because of superannuation legislation, will have to put their money in more, um, less safe investment options like the share market, which is heading for a crash in the next uh, 12 months, or the real estate market, which uh, irrespective of low interest rates, in my opinion, is really not going to take off because we have some of the most overvalued real estate on this planet. So these tax cuts are basically a Pandora's box because they will wreak havoc in sections of the community. And those sections of the community that benefit the 11 million people who are, who are wage earners and pay taxes on, on their wage income, most of that money will go towards uh, meeting increased energy bills and paying down debt. It actually won't go into uh, improving the economic outlook and the living standards of people. Now, that's something interesting, isn't it, living standards? We don't hear that much these days, do we? The concept of a living standard, of actually people being in a situation where they can actually live comfortably where their basic needs are met, whether they work or whether they don't work, where basic needs are met. Now, it is kind of ironical that Mr Palmer, who's made his billions from, uh, you know, mineral exploration, is um, one of the greatest beneficiaries of the re-election of a Morrison government. It, it is quite interesting because, you see, we've only got 24 and a bit million people living on a continent which is a min- mineral-rich continent which has things that the rest of the world wants and needs and is willing to pay good prices for. But we rely on royalties, which is a fancy word for a tax which is placed on the amount of minerals that are extracted from the earth, whether it's gold, whether it's silver, whether it's bauxite, whether it's uranium, whether, whether it's iron ore, whether it's coal, 
the decreasing uh, shrinking coal market, whatever it is. It's about royalties. Now, there is not one single reason one person should be living in poverty in this country. Although we have 700,000 children living in poverty. We have over one third of the population living on less than $400 a week and some on less than $250 a week for a new start allowance. That's one third of the population. We are a very rich society. We have minerals, agricultural land and people. There is no reason we should be seeing people sleeping rough on the streets or in the parks. There is no reason we should see people dying of hypothermia because they can't afford to pay energy bills in this country's major cities. There is no reason children receiving a public education should be saddled with, in in many cases, a second-rate system because of the lack of infrastructure and resources which are allocated to the public housing sector. There is no reason that people on a public hospital waiting list should be waiting for years to actually receive an appointment to go to a specialist clinic and wait months, if not years, in agony for elective surgery. But it occurs constantly. There is no reason in this country that people should not receive necessary emergency dental care. And I could go on for the next half an hour. And the reason we find ourselves in this situation is very simple. Because we rely on the private sector for everything in this country. I'm going to use the big four words again. During the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation tsunami that has swept over this country over the last four decades, what we have seen is the public sector shrink to almost nothing and the private sector dominate every aspect of living in this country. And the private sector's mantra in a capitalist society is very simple to create maximum returns for owners and major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental, cultural, national costs. And nothing highlights this more than the ridiculous situation of people on the eastern seaboard having to pay ridiculous prices, especially business, for gas. Because most of the gas we have, and we are the second biggest supplier of natural gas in the world after Qatar has been sold off for a peppercorn amount and no royalties in the majority of cases. So here we are sitting on stolen land 
with Indigenous Australians still being some of the most marginalised and economically uh, exploited people on this planet, seeing this mineral wealth flow out of this country and seeing people becoming billionaires, not millionaires, billionaires from the exploitation of this wealth. And the government waiting for royalties, royalties, minimal royalties to be swept off the corporate table to keep to ensure the budget remains in so-called surplus. Extraordinary, isn't it? Now, why shouldn't we consider nationalising without compensation every major mineral resource in this country and not rely on royalties but rely on the profits which come from the sale of these commodities to the world. Think about it. Human beings are capable of anything. It's an idea that has been used before. Why should our mineral wealth not be shared with the original owners and among the current descendants of ways of migration which have come to this country over the last 230 years? Why should it be go to a you know, to shareholders, a minority, a minuscule minority of the population. Think about it. We have the potential to solve all these problems within a few years. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. If you'd like a compliment, if you'd like a, um, you know, if you'd like to learn more, there's a few websites, Facebook pages you can go to. There's my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. There is the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. There is the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest uh, website, pipsy.net. You can go to uh, YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Twitter stream, pipsy underscore au. You can go to the Facebook page, Public housing, everybody's business, or defend and extend public housing, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But as I keep saying to people, it doesn't matter how many years I talk on this program. It doesn't matter how scintillating, you know, the convers the one way conversation is. The dilemma is nothing will happen unless people take up the ideas and won't run the with these ideas. I'll give you a few. Examples. Now, the Reserve Bank governor has been forced to reduce interest rates to 1%, right? And they'll be reduced again because the economy, in inverted commas, is sluggish as if the economy... What the economy means is basically people's living standards are going backwards. Their level of debt is increasing. Their ability to service their debts is decreasing. That's what 
what they mean is that the economy is sluggish. When they talk about the economy, they're talking about you, right? You, your children, your families, your future. They're talking about you. They're not talking about some entity which has a life of its own. The economy, all the economy is, is the economic, financial relationships which exist between the people on this continent. And obviously, to some degree, it is affected by what's happening overseas, but to to a significant degree, it is affected by what is happening here today. Now, so when the governor of the Reserve Bank which is the central bank of this country, says that we need to reduce interest rates to near nothing to stimulate the economy and that the government needs to spend money on infrastructure programs and that maybe if this doesn't work, we should consider printing money, qualitative easing, which is pulling money out of thin air to stimulate the economy, which is stimulate you and me, to get active, you begin to wonder, what's going on? What's going on? And we all know what's going on. Unless you're a billionaire or a multimillionaire who got a few homes negatively geared or rolling in franking credits, you know there are problems in the economy, which is the relationship between people. And we are seeing fundamental shifts, that's right, fundamental shifts in the economy, in inverted commas, the relationship that exists between people and their ability to survive. Now, we live in a monetary age where the type of lifestyle you are able to enjoy is totally dependent on the disposable income you have. Unless you're a thief Even then, it's difficult. It's the disposable income you have. If you've got disposable income, you can buy that nice motorbike. You can upgrade your car. You can go on a holiday. You can send your kiddies to a private school. You can buy that life insurance. You can buy that private health insurance. You can buy that big house on the bay. So the type of life anybody can lead in a capitalist society, Australia in 2019, is totally dependent on disposable income. And disposable income is basically the amount of money you've got left after you've paid your bills. It's that simple. And the dilemma in Australia in 2019 is that income for the majority of people is not based on investment return, but income for the majority of people is based on the concept of having a job and getting a wage. It's that simple. And if you can't get a job, well, you're basically on a new start allowance. It's that simple. And if you're on a new start allowance, you can't meet your day-to-day economic, uh, day-to-day needs. End of story. And if you're paying off a mortgage, you need to sell that home. And in Australia, you owe the banks that money, irrespective of how 
much real estate values have actually fallen during a period of time. So we have fundamental shifts. We are moving from an industrial revolution to the digital revolution. And the thing about the digital revolution, artificial intelligence is we no longer need people in order to be a productive society. Machines will do more and more of that work. And we see that when you walk into a major supermarket and you've, you know, you're channeled into the self-service lane. When you pick up a phone to pay a bill and you've got a computer answering you and telling you what to do, you know and I know that there will not be new jobs created as a result of this revolution. And the digital revolution is a revolution. For example, one of the major income streams we have in this country today is royalties on mineral exports. Only 2% of Australians in work work in the mineral industries field and that number will continue to decrease as mechanisation becomes more and more sophisticated. So almost for the first time in human history, we have now reached the situation where we do not need everybody in society to be working in order for society to function and flourish. So this creates big problems, not just in terms of people not being able to meet their basic human needs, but in terms of the social dislocation that will occur as more and more people become disillusioned with the parliamentary process and more importantly become disillusioned with the financial system, which marginalises them. And all you've got to do is look at the over 40s who've lost their jobs in a traditional industry to see what happens to people over the long term. Secondly, just go to any regional town and you will see that regional towns in this country are dying. And they're dying for one reason. They're dying because there are no jobs in these regional towns. And there will be no jobs in these regional towns, apart from possibly a little bit of tourism, because most agriculture today is owned by the corporate world and is highly mechanised. And those areas that are not mechanised don't pay workers well. That's why they rely on all these you know, funny temporary work visas, backpackers visas, and the list goes on and on for people to do that type of work. So we have a problem. We have a system that does not need labour and we have a system that relies on a wage for people to survive and have disposable income. Not everybody can be an investor. It's that simple. 
and investors are also buffeted by the winds of capitalism. One day you get a good return, the next day you could find you know, you've lost half of your assets which you've built up over a lifetime. And it happens when you have re- recessions and depressions and market falls. It happens and it continues to happen. So living standards. Living standards may be rising for a section of the population but they are not rising for another section of the population and they will not be rising for that section of the population in the foreseeable future. So we need to look at a different economic relationship and two concepts which I think are very relevant today, which nobody talks about, which so few people, which will become, in my opinion, major issues within the next decade are one, a basic living wage. What is a basic living wage? Instead of giving wage earners tax cuts, a basic living wage is giving every Australian over the age of 18 enough money to survive comfortably for the next 12 months. Pay it on a fortnightly basis. A basic living wage. Now, obviously... People who earn nothing will keep all that basic living wage and not pay any tax. People who pay, uh, who are, say, maybe earn 50% more than the basic living wage may pay a little bit of tax. And people who earn three or four times the living wage will have to give it back at tax time. So the, living wa- the basic living wage is not a radical new concept. It's the type of idea that was introduced by the Roman Empire, the Roman emperors in Rome over 2,000 years ago. As the Roman Empire expanded, the number of slaves increased and a slave is basically labour you don't pay. It's that simple. You know, the plebeians, who still had rights within the Roman system, political rights, had to be appeased. They were appeased through subsidised food and circuses, subsidised rent and the list went on and on. So the concept of the basic living wage is the concept you introduce to maintain social cohesion in a society where you don't need everybody to work. And this frees people up to develop themselves in other areas, not, in, not having to worry about where the next meal's coming from. Or where you're going to put your, you know, head. It's very simple. Basic living wage. Basic living wage. It will become a necessity. What's another idea? Another idea is very simple. It is so simple. Today, people are not spending money. It's that simple. They're not spending money because they don't have disposable income. If you're spending thirty to forty to fifty percent of your Income on keeping a roof over your head, whether it's rent or whether it's mortgage repayments, then you will not spend. It's just so simple. The thing about economics is they tell you, oh, it's a complex idea. Nothing is complex in economics. It is simple. Oh, it's about your household budget. 
It's the same concept on a national level or a federal level. You know, if somebody in your household falls on hard times, do you kick him out the door or do you support them? Same concept. So how do you fund a basic living wage? One, as I said before, simply is a nationalisation, compulsory nationalisation of all the large mineral deposits which are in this country. See, people don't understand is you don't own the minerals under the soil. All you own is the first eight inches when you buy property. The Crown owns the minerals under the soil. So why shouldn't we as a people own those minerals? Or, if you don't want the dislocation that will cause, there are a number of taxes which can be implemented to actually fund a basic living wage. Not fund franking credits for people who don't need them, but a basic living wage. And you can fund that through the introduction of a 1% stock market turnover tax. You could raise 20, 20 to $30 billion per year. You sell a share, you pay a tax. You buy a share, you pay a tax. 1%, 1%, 1%. So if you're a churner of, you know, you churn shares in order to make a buck, well, you pay more. That's 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 the property. You could also pay a 1% turnover tax, say, of corporations who have a turnover of more than $2 million per year. You could raise over $100 billion per year. You could deny large businesses with a turnover of $2 million a year GST refunds. When you go on a holiday and you pay a GST, or when you buy something and you pay a GST, you can't claim that GST back. But if you're a business and you buy something, you do claim that GST back GST back as a business expense. So there are three ways. Now, when we look at job creation, and this is this is critical in our society. It's either the private sector or the public sector. Well, the public sector in certain areas has been shrinking while the private sector has been increasing. But with mechanisation, the need for labour decreases. So a way of soaking up people into work and actually ensuring they earn a decent income, well, they'll never get rich, they'll never become millionaires or multimillionaires, is through the creation of a fund which can provide seeding funding to cooperatives and collectives. So what we need to see is a third tier of the economy grow, not just the public sector and the private sector, but cooperatives and collectives. So one, why not set aside 1% of the trillion dollars, that's right, trillion dollars in superannuation funds which is currently held in this country, set aside 1% as seeding funding for cooperatives and collectives who would then pay back that loan once they got on their feet. Obviously, some would fail, but many would, wouldn't. And cooperatives and collectives provide gainful employment in regional areas as well as urban centres, and that would actually help the regional decline that we are seeing in this country because you can't expect a corporation which is dependent on making profits to set up in a regional centre. But it's different with a cooperative and collective. 
listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the community radio. And the fourth tier of the economy, which I'm really interested in, is the expansion of the public housing sector, not just as a mechanism via which to soak up uh, homelessness and ensure that people on the waiting list get a roof over their heads, but an increase in the public housing sector would actually stimulate the economy, which is basically a fancy word for saying that the economic fortunes of many people would improve dramatically. A huge drag on economic recovery in this country is ridiculous prices of housing. I think we have the second highest prices of housing on the planet. It's ridiculous. And when, as I said before, when you're spending 30 to 40% of your income servicing your housing debt, the country has a problem. Not just you, but the country has a problem. You have a problem if you lose your job, but the country has a problem because there's not enough money going around for people to buy stuff and stimulate the economy. A strong public housing sector means the people who need accommodation are accommodated, but more importantly, it introduces competition into the private real estate market. As the public housing sector increases, the need for people to rent and pay exorbitant rent decreases and rents fall for the rest of the population. As rents fall, investors leave the marketplace and housing prices at the lower end of the market drop, allowing people to enter the housing market, especially in a low interest rate environment. But most importantly of all, not only does it provide security for families and people, we would see billions of dollars, if not tens of billions of dollars, released into the economy. Because if if rents in public housing are restricted to 25% of income, that means that people not only enjoy security and security for their children and grandchildren, But what it means is there's a lot of more disposable income that once you've met your basic living needs, you have money which you can spend to buy stuff and keep the economy ticking over. So it's a win-win situation. So the three, four things I would think about in terms of stimulating the economy, which nobody else is talking about. One, a basic living wage for all. End of question. Two, the nationalisation of this country's mining resources. Nationalisation without compensation. And they've made enough money already. Three, the introduction of a range of taxations to ensure that those who don't pay tax will pay tax. A 1% turnover tax. 1% stock market tax and the bolstering of the public housing sector across the nation to ensure that people's need for housing is met, but more importantly, that only 25% of income is needed to keep a roof over your head in the public housing sector. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you want to learn more about these ideas, well, you can go to YouTube channel, Public Interests Before corporate interests. You can go to the Anarchist Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to my Facebook page, 
Toscano, uh, Joseph Toscano. You can go to Public Housing Everybody's Business Facebook page. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. And most importantly of all, you can go to the pipsy.net, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest webpage, pipsy.net, a very friendly webpage. Have a look at the ideas behind Pipsy. Join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest today. Help us uh, get the numbers we need to register as a federal political party and cause a little bit of competition at the next uh, federal election. Now's the time, as I said. Pandora's box has been opened. We haven't seen the consequences yet. We will see the consequences the next 12 to 18 months of the current uh, economic uh, climate, and those consequences affect everybody. As spending cuts bite, it affects the 30% of people on Social Security benefits. As wage growth slows down, as the unions have been legislated out of existence, you will find there's less disposable income and more pressure to decrease interest rates and provide free money through qualitative easing to uh, you know um, get people to get part of the economy. So look at these alternative ideas. Every idea is possible. Nothing is possible without your participation. We encourage you to participate. I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download it now. Post uh, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Pipsy, P-I-D-B-C-I dot net. Yes, you can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at uh, anarchistage at anarchistage at yahoo.au. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. My apologies. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. This is the Anarchist World This Week, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program has been broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network, streamed across the world at 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Dot org dot au. That's freecr.org.au. You can always leave messages on 0439 395 489. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, produced from the studios of uh, Radio 3CR in Melbourne, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. As I said, join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download the application form now, pipsy.net, pipsy.net. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. And don't forget, dinner tonight, 7pm, La Porqueta. Next week, lunch, 1pm. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the community radio station on your local community radio station. Listen in to Anarchist World this week, next week, uh, we'll, we will be talking again in a few. But if you haven't had enough, go to the website pages, go to the Facebook pages. We'll see you next week. Hang in there. Get involved. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events.
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.